That's our secret, Cap. We're always angry. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Kyle. I gotta, I gotta tell you something. The worst way to get mm-hmm. me to do something is peer pressure. Okay. Peer pressure me into doing something. I, I probably won't ever do it. And uh, sure. that's how we got here to this episode. It's uh, it's one of our most requested brackets. And late last year, I decided no mas. I'm gonna stop dragging my feet. I'm gonna watch me some Marvel movies. And we're going to get into the best Marvel movie bracket. We're not huge Marvel fans, and we are very, very clueless about this topic. But luckily, Disney Plus exists, and we are able to watch these movies uh, and get ourselves educated. You got to listen to Best Robots uh, when we butchered our discussion about Vision and Ultron, when I said that Thor landed on Ragnarok in the last bracket. <laughs> uh, we, we just really don't know what we're talking about. So we had to bring in a legit Marvel expert to help us out on this one. Everyone, welcome to the podcast. A first-time guest, it is our buddy Travis. Travis, what is going on? Long-time listener, first-time podcaster. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> We're doing well, man. We're doing well. Uh, so so I, I mentioned that you're a Marvel fan, but just how deep does that Marvel fandom go for you? Boy, I mean... I, I, so I, I was born in 1978, uh, right after uh, the first Star Wars came out, and and I saw Jedi in the theater, and I was a huge Star Wars fan for a very long time while growing up. And I say that to uh, come to the realization a few years ago that after 20-some movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it has brought me so much more joy than even Star Wars has throughout my entire life. Wow. wow. So that's wow. just the MCU. And I mean, there's the other Marvel movies, which, you know, have their place and like some are good and some are bad. But the MCU to me is truly the triumph. But like my love of Marvel dates back to when I was a kid. I collected comic books. I was an avid comic book collector and reader. And, uh, and really like Amazing Spider-Man was my thing. Um, loved uh, X-Men, loved Wolverine, loved Punisher. Uh, so, so really like collected a lot of that stuff and read it, uh, you know, drawing pictures on, on my friend, my best friend's floor, you know, <laughs> Spider-Man swinging and all that kind of stuff. So, so, you know, when, when Iron Man finally came out and then it started to get revealed that this is going to be part of like a bigger web and then characters start to show up in other movies, it's, it's, it was like truly like watching the pages that I read come to life. Uh, and, and so I've just like, shamelessly watched these movies over and over again. I mean, I can't tell you which one I've watched the most, maybe winter soldier, which maybe gives something away, but it's that's easily in the twenties now at this point. So, um, you know, and then I read a bunch of backstory stuff. I watch videos occasionally. I've gotten more into that in recent years. Um, so big time Marvel fan. Love it. Love it. Well, this wouldn't be a mouse madness episode without us 
sipping on a little something that we call our spoonful of sugar. So, Chris, what are you drinking this week? Well, last week, my beer streak came to an end. I finally <laughs> got a dud. So uh, I went back to my bar. I got a nice little mixed drink. It's been a while since I cooked up a nice cocktail, and I got a very nice bottle of mezcal for Valentine's Day from my significant other. So I decided to whip up a mezcal cocktail. This is a mezcal blackberry smash. It's got two ounces of mezcal, seven blackberries, Three quarters ounce of specifically. a specifically very specific seven blackberries. Three quarters of an ounce of lime juice and half an ounce of agave nectar. Muddled it together. I don't have a muddler, so I just took a spoon and kind of like mashed it in a glass. <laughs> um, and it's all right. It's I like that it's kind of made of like natural ingredients. There's no like sodas or like weird waters or other types of liquids. My lime juice was straight from the limes, so I like that aspect of it. It's just, it's not super fun. It's like not a super fun drink, but it's Blackberry. It's Mezcal. I'm going to call it the Black Panther. Kyle, what do you got? I also went cocktail this week and I, in typical me fashion, Googled Marvel cocktails and found one that had ingredients that I also had in my bar. And this one is called uh, Eyes Up High and it's supposed to be the Hawkeye drink. And it's supposed to be served with a like a, an arrow swizzle and a orange peel in it. But I obviously don't have an arrow swizzle <laughs> um, and I was too lazy to peel an orange. So this calls for two ounces of gin, half an ounce of peach schnapps, half an ounce of violet liqueur, half an ounce of lemon juice, a fourth of an ounce of simple syrup. And it asked for so this is like a, a UK website and asked for a fourth of an ounce of water which i would assume is like club soda or tonic water which i didn't have and it also asks you to put it into a shaker and you don't want to shake carbonated things in a shaker so (laughs) i was like i'm gonna just pass on this anyways um and it turns into this like really lovely purple drink that is blocked by my spoonful of sugar mug so i'll take a sip and Yeah, that's nice. It's the it's the like piney gin with the citrusy lemon and the violet liqueur that all come together. And it's like this sweet but sour type of mix. I, I'm digging this. I will probably actually do this again, to be honest. Let's go. Uh, Travis, what you got for us? So so I did uh, my I got multiple drinks here. It's an ode to Thor, but it's actually quite the opposite of which Thor would drink. So in Age of Ultron. He's got that uh, that flask that's got that Asgardian liqueur that's been aged for a thousand years that just tanks uh, his Stanley posing as one of his World War II buddies. <laughs> so I did the opposite of that, which is coconut rum. <laughs> I, uh, I I drink tea, unlike uh, unlike Thor. He does not drink tea, as no. he tells uh, Doctor Strange. And uh, and then I imagine that uh, when when Thor had to go dip in the the water to find the Infinity Stones and. Uh, the the water probably ended up tasting like uh, watermelon afterwards. So uh, I brought this tasty watermelon water to uh, to this thing as well. Love it, love it. You're ready for all occasions. Anything that comes your way, you've got multiple options over there. Is yeah, that pirate coconut? angels? They 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 the water that they bathe in must taste tasty <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Is that coconut rum? Just coconut rum, or are you mixing it up with something in there? It's, it's Coke and coconut rum. Okay. I was like, all right. Keep, we got- it smells like suntan lotion. It's quite delicious. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Chris. So 
we're talking best Marvel movie, which can mean literally anything. So I think it's I think we should really talk about what it means to the both of us. And especially being that we aren't huge Marvel fans and you just watched this cinematic universe for the first time and I just revisited it for the second time. And so uh, run me through how you prepped for this and what you think makes a good Marvel movie. Well, I learned the hard way during prep for best Disney Channel original movie and best Disney holiday movie that it's not a good idea to save all of the movies you've never seen before for like the week before you record the podcast. <laughs> so um, I knew we were going to have this bracket coming down the line. So I started preparing for this a couple of months ago and I've really slowly been getting through all these movies. My first one I watched I think it was my flight home from the holidays and it was great. It was Iron Man one. I was like, I'm going to have a great time doing this. And I kind of used that momentum to do a movie every few days. So I had a few days to think about each one and I didn't feel burnt out at all. I, I felt like I was very happy that it was over, but I wasn't like relieved that I didn't have to watch Marvel movies anymore. Pretty sure I got straight into WandaVision after it. I was like excited to get into like the next phase of yeah. the MCU. So um, I had a surprisingly really good time with it. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a Marvel fan now, but I, I enjoy the brand, I, I, I suppose. <laughs> What what was your reasoning for uh, for avoiding it for so long? How did you even manage to do that? So I do not like hype when it comes to movies and TV shows. Uh, if the masses love something, chances are I will hate it on purpose to try and not be like everyone else. So when everyone was talking about Game, Game of Thrones on Twitter, I was like, I'm not going to watch Game of Thrones because I will not be one of those people. So I waited until like in between season five and six where people weren't really talking a whole lot about Game of Thrones to just like watch it through um, and then just like get it when the hype was kind of died down. And I was happy that I waited for this point to do the Marvel watch because it was between, you know, Endgame and WandaVision. So people weren't really talking a whole lot about Marvel. Um, I don't know. I just, I just hate like the people talking about movies and TV on the internet. And I'm one of those people. Look at me. I'm a hypocrite. Yeah, as we do it into <laughs> microphones right now. Yeah, I had a um, similar experience, I think. I hadn't seen many of these movies. I saw Iron Man in theaters when it came out. Um, and then I didn't see a Marvel movie in theaters until Black Panther. So I missed a ton of the MCU in between then. And then after that, I saw just the... Um, Avengers movies that came out after Black Panther and nothing that was in between or within those. So the Ant-Mans and that kind of stuff. So I uh, really was going to be watching this for the first time. So that's how I began my pandemic really is last year. I watched all of the movies in cinematic universe order, but in rewatching these movies for this bracket, I realized that I probably want to rewatch them next year in the order of their actual release and so that I can understand a lot more of the hype around like the big surprises and the big reveals. I wouldn't be as um, dismissive as far as calling me a fan as I think you might be in your more of a, just like you appreciate the brand. I would say that I'm like a fan. I enjoy it. I'm probably going to consume most 
all Marvel things that come out now. I just put in so much time on it. I might as well use this knowledge to continue following on from here. Uh, so as I was watching, I was really trying to define for myself like what makes a good Marvel movie. And I think that what Marvel really does well is put in some serious effort into their individual movie storytelling and effect work, but at the same time, don't take themselves so seriously. Um, they're, they're not afraid to make jokes of their own characters, of their own plot holes, of their own loopholes. They're not afraid to get a little edgy sometimes. Um, and then you have on the other side, like DC, who takes themselves way too seriously. And it just doesn't become enjoyable because you're expecting then this really seriously awesome action movie. And then they don't meet that threshold a lot of the times. And with MCU, their action scenes are action scenes. <laughs> they like don't they don't hold back and then they'll stop and they'll be able to joke about it or, you know, joke about the characters involved. So I like that. So I want a Marvel movie that I feel like does something for the Marvel brand as far as storytelling goes. I want it to be fun, uh, humorous, and I want the action to be that right taste. And when I say that is because you're going to hear my arguments about some of these uh, when it becomes too action-y, I lose my interest. So <laughs> that's really where I'm at, which kind of just sounds like a sweet spot, <laughs> like a very middle of the road. Um, Travis, what would you say makes a good Marvel movie for you? Uh, it, multiple things. Uh, I, I think you hit it on the head when when you say that like DC takes itself way too seriously. It's so dour and and I, I you know I like the dark grittiness of some of the Batman movies, but it doesn't really work for uh, some of the newer DCEU movies, particularly how rushed they've been to get into uh, multiple characters sharing the screen. And that's one of the things that I love most about. Uh, MCU is that it really took its time to build and part of it was because I think they didn't quite know what they were getting into not fully maybe and then and once they realized they did they, they really brought the team together they they did it by in steps uh, you know with, with any movie like for me it's got to have a good story so that that is the same in any MCU movie if, this, if the plot points are lame or if the story doesn't make sense, then I'm immediately taken out of it being like the cinematic experience to then questioning what I'm even watching. So if, you know, you can bend and you have to bend when you watch these movies because it's essentially comic books come to life. Sure. So it lives in this like otherworldly realm, but it still has to make sense in the sci-fi world of like you set up these parameters and you have to work within those parameters. So, uh, you know, Another big thing is it has to have personality. And I think that's one of the things that, that Marvel's done really well with these characters. They've, they've casted so well. And when you put this up against other, uh, other comic book movies, the Fox movies, you know, they, they nailed some casting. They got it, you know, Fox got it really right with, uh, with Wolverine. They got it really right with uh, Professor X. But, you know, some other characters, like the newer X-Men stuff where they're a little bit younger, some of those people just straight up can't act. Right. And it, it really then also takes me out of like believing that this is the character and this is who they are. Whereas, uh, you know, Marvel for the most part has hired really good actors to be in these roles over multiple films and it's worked out really well. And you can kind of believe that these individuals 
are these characters? So, you know, and then does it, does it sort of, does it adhere to the baseline of what the Marvel comic is? You know, a lot of these are, are mining stories over the decades that Marvel's been around. Most of these stories are over like the past 20, 25 years or so. Um, and is, is it true to the original character? That's another thing that I look for when I'm watching these as, as MCU movies and a Marvel fan. Cool. We'll probably be throwing it to you for a lot of those uh, original character. What's what is this? What does the comics have to say about this person uh, as we go on throughout this bracket? So bef- I apologize so, be- in advance if I get anything wrong because I'm sure you'll get one or two emails like, "Excuse me, that's not correct," and you know maybe I'll be a little bit off, but whatever. We pride hey. ourselves on being wrong, actually. <laughs> Um, but there's do. so many inst- I mean these characters have existed some of them for 50 years or more they yep. have some of them now have multiple origins or it's like it's been retconned so many times like right, I may right, I may know right. one version of it but maybe I, I don't know what happened in the last 15 years quite as well so um, you know it happens so before we get into our field of 16 best Marvel movies that made our bracket we got to talk about our demographic, who we surveyed to get these rankings. We had a pretty easy time finding some folks on the internet. We've got a nice little uh, Marvel series going on right now, WandaVision. So there are tons of people out there talking about the show right now. We decided to ask WandaVision conspiracy theorists what the best Marvel movie is. Now, when we talk about WandaVision conspiracy theories, these are those people that have crackpot theories about what's going to happen, what the origins of these characters are, who's going to make an appearance, who people are talking about. Uh, they are not easy to find. Uh, whenever you have these these properties with all of this lore behind it, anything can happen. And people love to dream. So, uh, Travis, you were talking about a cameo that you are anticipating potentially seeing. So would you call yourself a WandaVision conspiracy theorist? Yeah, a bit. I like to certainly pause here and there and, and do rewatches and try to figure out what exactly <laughs> is going on. And, and in the in the first couple episodes, I was uh, sitting over the notebook, taking notes as I was watching it, writing down various thoughts. So yeah, a bit of a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> That's awesome. But those... Uh, conspiracy theorists gave us our bracket of 16 but as Travis brought up there's more than 16 movies in this MCU uh, saga and so a few missed the dance for me Chris the the one that I feel missed the dance is Iron Man 3 Iron Man 3 is a fantastic Christmas movie it's an and incredible deserves a little Christmas bit more, movie oh deserves a little bit more respect than this um I understand, and there are a lot of great movies, but I feel like this one just missed the dance for me. What's uh, what's one for you, Chris? One for me that I probably would have liked to see on this bracket is Avengers Age of Ultron. This was the first Avengers movie I saw. It might be the first Marvel movie, period, that I saw. I went to the premiere randomly with Kadeem, who was on last week's episode, when Clint takes the Avengers back to his house in podunk or wherever it is in my opinion that is the best thing the mcu ever did what's funny is that's like so unlike the character in the comics oh my god it's like that's like the 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 big thing that's a a removal from the actual character himself really he he wouldn't take them home no i don't think he takes anybody home i don't i don't believe that he has a secret family anywhere in the uh in the comic lore (laughs) 
I mean, okay. you know, I come from like a, a traditional film background and like seeing the, the stakes increase a little bit for Clint and for everyone just to see the gravity of the situation hit a more personal note, I think is really cool and something that a lot of superhero movies don't take the time to do. So like seeing him back there and seeing Natasha with the kids and the comedy of seeing Thor in a living room stepping on toys and like Captain America chopping wood and and Tony super restless stuck in a barn uh like I don't know it's just cool it's just not the type of situation you think that the Avengers would ever be in so it it was nice to see them face it the opening action scene in that movie also really cool one of my favorite shots in the MCU is when they all like do a little slow-mo they kind of like get caught in the same frame for like a split second. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why this didn't make the bracket? Don't really know. I mean, it can feel generic at times, I guess. The Sokovia stuff, I started getting motion sickness when the whole world started <laughs> lifting up and like Ultron himself is kind of like wacky killer android robot. I, I don't know. Um, but I guess the people didn't like it. Um, Travis, any movies uh, you notice here that maybe should have been on the list? No, when, when Kyle sent me this list, I was actually really pl- pre- pleased. He, he said I was going to get triggered by it, but I was spot on with it. Like Ultron to me, yeah, like sort of the wackiness of Ultron himself and some of the plot points and some of the pacing and, and just Joss Whedon in general. Like he has a tendency to lean a little bit too into the silly. And, and uh, you know, you, you line Ultron up against... Uh, Winter Soldier that just came before it and Civil War that comes soon after it. And right. Captain America is this really like in-depth character. And you put him in, in in this movie, Ultron, and he's like, you know, says a bad word and everybody's like talking about the language that he's speaking. You know, he, <laughs> he makes him more of like a farce than like an actual like depth of the character that's been developed in, in other movies. So, uh, you know, one that movie that I like that's not on this list that uh, that I like a hell of a lot more than I think than anybody else likes is Iron Man 2. And most <laughs> definitely because of Justin Hammer. Um, that, what's that guy's name that, that played him? The, um, Sam uh, Rockwell? Yes, Sam Rockwell, who did not have an Oscar at the point where he filmed that movie, now has an Oscar. <laughs> you could see just like how good this guy is. And he's like one character that I wish they would bring him back into the MCU. He's mm. pretty unlikable. He's pretty despicable. He's kind of a clown, but like that's what he's set up to be. And, and there's this there's this little shimmy dance that he does when he's walking across the stage in Iron Man 2 that just like gets me laughing every yeah. single time. Like the villain in it is a little bit far-fetched and like certainly like the the whole like, Tony, I'm speaking to you from the grave through this video that I recorded <laughs> millions of years ago and nobody bothered to watch beyond 32 minutes. Like that whole thing is like pretty asinine. So like, I understand the plot doesn't really work, but like the feeling of that movie is pretty good. Like you look at Iron Man 3 and that's one that I don't like at all that Kyle mentioned. Uh, you know, Shane Black is a great director, directed uh, and wrote the Lethal Weapon movies, Nice Guys, which I think came out in 2016 or so. That's a really great, fun movie. But his like brooding masculinity doesn't quite fit well with Iron Man and that whole movie. The only thing that that movie does a really good job of is developing Tony, uh, his fear of like what he experienced in New York and sort of like what he starts to move into, which is 
more selfless and, and lane on the wire, which Cap criticized him for early on. So that's the one area where Iron Man 3 works. But like the whole extremist plot, that, that's a really interesting storyline in the comics that just sort of didn't, um, didn't get unfolded very well here. Hmm. All right, y'all. It's time. We got to get into our field of 16 here. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's not waste any more time. So let's cue that dramatic music and let's get to it. Blip, blip, blipadelphia. Stealing the number one spot is Avengers Endgame. Sure, your computer may have gotten a virus, but has it ever gotten an entire doctor? Coming in at the number two seat is Captain America Winter Soldier. Thanos be like, Snapple! Merkin its way into the number three spot is Avengers Infinity War. Shouting Wakanda forever from our number four spot is Black Panther. Third time's the charm. Fighting into the number five spot is Thor Ragnarok. Let's get ready to rumble! Coming in at the number six seed is Captain America Civil War. That's that Chitauri I don't like. Coming in at number seven is The Avengers. Dancing its way into the number eight seed is Guardians of the Galaxy. Who's your daddy? Blasting into the number nine spot is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. When you give a playboy a robot suit, you get the number 10 seed. It's Iron Man. Inject it straight into my veins. Running into the number 11 spot is Captain America, the first Avenger. Finding its home at the number 12 spot is Spider-Man Homecoming. Stop. Hammer time. Teleporting into the number 13 spot is Thor. Padme, Thor, Bootstrap Bill Turner, and the older sister from the Scream team go on an adventure (laughs) in our number 14 seed. It's Thor. I feel the need. The need for Kree. Crash landing into the number 15 spot is Captain Marvel. And climbing through a portal into the number 16 seed is Doctor Strange. All right, we have 16 really, really great MCU movies. Travis, you kind of already hinted at an early favorite before we even announced these. Are there any others on this bracket that you feel like might be a bit of a surprise pick uh, as far as their rankings? It took a long time to get Spider-Man right. Spider-Man's coming in at 14 here. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, he, he can't play football because he didn't then, so he can't now, but maybe he can uh, dance here and, uh, and and climb a little bit higher. He is a wall crawler after all. It's, it's very true. He, he can scale just about anything, but can he scale this bracket? Chris, let's go ahead and get started with this first matchup. Do you want to take it? I'll take it. I'll take it, baby. <laughs> Hop in, so, baby. Let's go. <laughs> our first matchup is number one, Avengers Endgame versus number 16, Doctor Strange. So, first of all, I'm very surprised that Endgame is the number one seed here. I, I, I would have a lot of other movies before it as my personal number one and like what I would think other people would say is their number one as well. I haven't seen a lot of people be like, the best movie was the very last one. I think they wrapped it up in a pretty good way, or at least as good as you can wrap up a gigantic, crazy, like overwhelmingly large project like the MCU. It was good. Sure. I was satisfied. I think most people were satisfied as well. But to say that it's the best movie, I think is is a little bit a little bit too much. Doctor Strange 
so it was interesting for me to watch all of these movies out of context, out of time, like not knowing the perception generally of any of these movies. So like, I don't know which ones people hate. I don't know which ones people like. So I just went through and watched them. And then afterwards went through like all these listicles. It's like, we ranked the best Marvel movies from worst to best. And I was shocked to find out how many people do not like Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange is in my top three favorite Marvel movies. (laughs) I enjoy it so much. So the best way for me to like talk about any of these movies is really just talk about what's working for me and what's not working for me. So some things that work for me with Doctor Strange, first of all, discussions of religion and existentialism in the MCU uh, super unique and interesting. I'm into that, especially like the Eastern spin on it, because we have so much like America in so much of these uh, like MCU movies that it's cool to have some like Eastern thought injected into the saga. The character of Doctor Strange is is a little bit tough. Um, he's kind of unlikable. Uh, he's kind of a huge jerk, especially in the ensemble movies. He's he's pretty hard to get along with, and he can be like really frustrating to watch. But I think uh, in a standalone movie, I, I really enjoy him. To to me, he's semi relatable. He's um, can be a little bit self centered at time, and and it's sort of unsympathetic. And I, that's something I kind of see in myself as well. Like those are personality flaws I can admit to having. So it was cool to see someone battling through those things on screen. But can you perform, perform surgery? I cannot. So I want to talk about the doctor side of Dr. Strange. Um, <laughs> I come from a family of doctors. This, is, yes. this has been like a, a question I've had like as a kid, like who is the doctor's doctor? And what is it like to be a doctor and be doctored by another? (laughs) And like, is it easy to set aside your ego and your own expertise and to like uh, trust someone else? Um, It's like probably the the least important like social dilemma ever, but uh, (laughs) it is, it does exist. So it was kind of interesting to see that like play out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe of all places. Uh, the science versus faith debate is great. I think we see a lot of um, like faith has no place in science conversations happening in the real world these days. And you never, ever see science has no place in faith. And that's something that this movie tackles. It's very interesting. Sure. And his powers that he he acquires seems semi achievable like for the average joe like if you trained hard enough and like read enough books you might be able to open portals uh me and my brother were dragon ball z fans for like 18 months at some point in our in our youths and there was an episode where like these randoms like somehow acquired the dragon ball z powers and we were like let's go like you don't have to be like a chosen one and have special metachlorians like you can just harness the energy if you try hard (laughs) enough and i love that about dr strange it's not cap where he's injected with special materials uh it's not carol danvers who gets blown up and like it gets into her bloodstream and it's not iron man who has infinity money and infinity technology and he's a billionaire it's like hey 
if I just like concentrate hard enough, I could maybe be Doctor Strange. You'd you'd think though that they put one of those little straps on the sling ring, to, similar to a, a switch controller, so that that <laughs> right. thing wouldn't slip off your hand and you'd get you stuck would somewhere. Hope so. You would you hope would think. so. You would think. Um, Travis, you were kind of talking about the like goofiness of uh, Age of Ultron and how you don't like that. I love goofy superhero movies. My favorite superhero movie of all time is Batman and Robin. I don't care. I will admit it. I love the schlocky, weird, terrible nature of that movie. Wait, what are you talking about? You're talking about the George Clooney bat nipples one? I'm talking about the bat nipples. I'm talking about George Clooney, Alicia Silverstone, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. I Bane putting down bombs saying bomb for like five minutes straight. That's a terrible movie. That's an awful. Aren't you like a film major? That's a terrible movie. Don't forget to winterize your pipes. (laughs) Um, It's it's just incredible. Like that's what I want when I watch the superhero movies. Like I want it to feel like a comic book come to life. It's just absurd and weird and colorful and corny and ironic and all of that stuff. So the ghost fight scene in Doctor Strange sent me to another dimension. It was so <laughs> fun to watch and so weird and so goofy and dumb. And I was like, this is perfect. This is what, like you were talking about, Kyle, it's not taking itself too seriously. It's doing really weird stuff and it just doesn't care. Yeah, I have a, I have a buddy yeah. that uh, that was not an MCU fan and when Doctor Strange Strange came out, he somehow happened to go see it. And that was his way in. And it was because of like the Eastern thought. And it was because of sort of the trippiness of, of going through the multiverse and all of that, that, that just sort of gravitated uh, to his conscious and being. And, and now he's a huge Marvel fan. He's gone back and he's watched all the movies previously. He's now goes and, and sees movies as they come out. We actually went and saw our end game together. So uh you know, that is a portal in for people. And that's part of the beauty of, of the MCU is that over time they've dabbled in these different areas and they've made different characters and their movies feel a little bit more personal to that character. And, and that is a way in for an individual person to, to start enjoying these movies. You know, the, the, the downside to Dr. Strange though, for me is Mads Mikkelsen is just not a very strong or well-developed villain. Yeah. And, and you place it against Endgame, which, which, obviously like has a huge amount of buildup. Uh, Thanos isn't quite as depicted as well in that one as he is in Infinity War where he's depicted really well. Exactly. But, but the payoffs in Endgame are so huge. Uh, you know, to me, Doctor Strange does a really good job of like explaining the ancient one, does a really good job of explaining Doctor Strange, but not a very good job of explaining Dormammu or Mads Mikkelsen's character. I think that... I want to talk more about the Thanos stuff later because I think I'll have an opportunity to. (laughs) Um, I'm going to make a really weird comparison right now between Doctor Strange and a movie we've talked about on this podcast before. Literally the same movie, Doctor Strange and Cadet Kelly. (laughs) You take a super stuck up person from the city and put them into some place that's way out of their element and no one likes them. But uh, they end up like camp. they go through a boot camp and <laughs> then they end up like changing the boot camp and the whole military. And they're like, oh, guess what? I'm in charge now and <laughs> I have rubbed off on you. Um, like I said, Doctor Strange is a top three MCU movie for me. I love it. I'm advancing it over Avengers Endgame. 
Yeah, you're wild, man. Um, <laughs> I think that the reason why I'm not going to do that is the exact reason that Travis brought up is the villains need to be convincing enough as a villain in order for the stakes to be as high as I need them to be. And in Endgame, the stakes are as high as they could absolutely ever be. I have plenty of issues with Endgame uh, just in general. But uh, linking Endgame to Doctor Strange, we're just supposed to believe, and maybe it was true, that Doctor Strange was performing surgery during the attack on New York during Avengers because when Bruce Hulk goes back and tries to get the time stone, uh, she says that he's five years too early or whatever and that Doctor Strange is currently performing surgeries as the city's being attacked. So is, do we know that from anything else, Travis? Like, do we know Doctor Strange as just like being real cool under pressure as they're being overtaken and he's performing I, I, I took it more as like... That's his job, and this, and so he's off doing that over there, and he he's not coming this way for a number of years. But maybe not that he is actively at this moment performing surgery. I think, I think he absolutely is. I think, I think it's on the TV, and he's, I think he's, he's like, in there. He, we know he's got cool hands, so he's he's good. He can we, he can jam to music as he's doing it. What's a few Chitari blowing up buildings <laughs> around him? Yeah, he's lucky that his building didn't get touched because literally every building got touched during what, that. What we know is he's not in the ER because he says like, I'm not going to work in some dirty ER. I'm, That's I'm, true. I'm in it for the money. I'm yeah, in it for he the, was for the yeah, stuff. performing brain surgery on some like multi-millionaire instead of helping the people that are getting blowed up by he's the He's not coming Chitari. downstairs for any of the injured. That's Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So um, I... I feel like I know where Travis is going with this as well, so I don't want to waste any more time talking about Endgame. Um, I'm going to move Endgame on. So, Travis, you're breaking this first tie. I, I will say there, there's probably one of my favorite scenes in the MCU is in Doctor Strange, and it's where the Ancient One is dying on the table, and uh, her spirit goes outside, and, and uh, Strange follows so her. So good, so And they're good. standing there watching time pass so slowly, and you see... She mentions this. It looks like rain, but she mentions snow, and you see the, the helicopter flying and, and the the lightning come down very slowly. And and she she says to him like, "You you fail to understand the one thing. It's not about you." And that that's like uh, something that we can all take to heart. Like it's not all about you. Like branch out to other people, help other people. And then when she says, "Look at me," I'm, she takes his hand and says, "Look at me. I, I've I've seen this moment many times, but I've never seen past it." And, and I'm here just like stretching out each moment just to watch the snowfall. I can watch that moment and that, that scene over and over again and like get misty eyed and get emotional about it. I really love that part. Uh, you know, rest of the movie works in really fun ways. It's, it's a strong 16 here, uh, you know, and it probably could have beat a, a few movies a little bit higher than it, but Endgame is not only a huge payoff, but like a huge payoff that very easily could not have paid off had it been uh, messy directors, messy writers, messy actors. Sure. They made it work and they made it work really well. So when you watch Endgame, number one, that's uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But like, <laughs> as far as that versus Strange, I got to move Endgame on. All right. Top seed avoids the upset in the first matchup. Let's move on to the next one, which is Number eight versus number nine, and it happens to be the Guardians of the Galaxy versus themselves. 
which is great. I love when this happens. Uh, it's, you know, Chris, you talked about hype in your your intro and, and how much you don't give into hype. You won't want to watch hype. Uh, it turns you off. You're going to just not yeah. adhere to it. Guardians was that like hype for me because totally yeah i didn't have any friends growing up uh that were into marvel which is indicative of me not having seen any of these movies and when guardians came out uh i remember all of my my friends being super stoked about it and like being on twitter and people being like this is such a great movie i'm going back for my third fourth fifth time and I was like, that seems like a lot of hype for a Chris Pratt movie, to be honest. <laughs> it just didn't. I also just didn't get it before watching. Right. Of course, before watching, I don't get it. I should probably watch it if I want to get it. But like, who who are they? <laughs> I've heard of superheroes. I basically know that the standards uh, and especially in the MCU. But who are the Guardians? So I didn't obviously watch this in theaters. And I watched it in like. It's good. In fact, Chris, actually, in fact, I went on Mission Breakout at California Adventure before I had seen any of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that means that I'm walking through the Tavian collection and seeing all of these like references and all of these things. And I'm like, this is just kind of dope. Where's all the like hidden Disneyland stuff? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> where's the Yeti? Where's the Yeti? I'm trying to see the Yeti. So, so. I remember like specifically where I was. I was living with uh, my buddy Nick and we were or our buddy Nick, all of our friends, Nick. We all either heard of Nick or also lived with Nick at some point. And uh, <laughs> he was like, let's watch Guardians. I was like, I guess I'll give into the hype. The thing that like made this fun and cool is that like a lot of the other movies are very you know, we, we talk, we're talking to the, the soundtrack and the score guy over here. And a lot of them are this very like epic feeling scores and themes and all of that. And Guardians just hits you with like, this could be any movie, you know, the soundtrack yeah. is, yeah, yeah. is very good, very amazing handpicked 70s and 80s songs. And I enjoy like, I liked that because I thought like, man, I'm going to have to like study up if I'm hopping in the middle of this uh, universe and I'm going to have to like prepare myself for this like really epic adventure. And it starts out super fun, right? Uh, and it, it's the same vibe from the beginning of that movie till the end of the second movie. And like that's where it started to like hurt a little bit. It, yeah. You can only take so much Chris Pratt. and. <laughs> He's funny at the beginning of this, and then he uh he makes a joke in the first movie where he uh where they get to the collector and he gets scared and he says, There's a little pee coming out of me right now. And I know you love the toilet hum humor, Chris, but I checked out. I said, Enough with the one-liners from Chris Pratt. I'd rather hear like Rocket be Rocket for the rest of this movie as opposed to like Chris Pratt trying to be like Andy in space from Parks and Rec. No, I I do love toilet humor and in any other setting I would probably think that's funny, but I agree with you that like 
it's like the Olaf effect. It's like, just shut up, man. Like, just let the scene happen. Come on. When I blame that on James Gunn. And yeah. not yes, so much yes, yes, Pratt. yes. Yeah, okay. And yeah. it's cringy. It's cringy today, like, knowing the James Gunn story, like, listening to some of these jokes be told, and you're like, ugh. You line up. I know, I know this is Guardians 1 versus Guardians vol- Volume 2 here, but like Guardians Volume 2 makes me uncomfortable upon some watches. Like the, the dislike of Mantis and yes. sort of the way that they pick on her and call her ugly and stupid and like all of these things. Like, yes, I feel like Gunn is, is a manifestation of Drax in that moment, knowing like his humor that was on Twitter years ago. And it, it makes me makes me tense and like unhappy and like almost hard to watch volume two sometimes because of those scenes. Yes. He's really dismissive of, of the women in his cast sometimes. And the fact that this isn't a movie from 2008, this is like a very recent movie in the MCU. And like this showed up in theaters and these were the jokes, like the berating of Mantis and just, you know, the the idea that like ego now that i'm in volume two the idea that like ego is like spreading his seed to take oh to be a part of everyone and he was objectifying women along the way by just using them as vessels to have kids and then would just kill the kids when they couldn't harness the power and i understand he's a villain And I understand that like we should absolutely hate our villains, but that manifestation of villainy is so close to home for who we know directed this. And I'm with you, Travis. It made me super uncomfortable to watch. Like I I think in my notes, I say uh, this one ranks below the other because Kurt Russell's character is just weird and makes me feel uncomfy. And that's literally what it is. So I don't know where we're going to end up here. And I could say more about Guardians, but they're not even really my favorite franchise in this MCU. Uh, And it's a lot because they try and really punch us in the face with the jokes. But I will say Michael Rooker is like the best. I love Yondu. He's great. A lot. The way I came to uh, Guardians, that that was the point where I thought MCU was going to jump the shark for volume one. Yeah. And I, it was 2014. Uh, I was about to have my daughter. Uh, well, my wife was going to have my daughter and I was going to be there too. And, uh, and the movie was going to come out and, and, and we had our daughter like five days before. And I usually go see MCU movies the night that they come out. So obviously couldn't do it. And like four days into the release, you know, we're tired. We're sort of out of it. We're, we're not uh, checking social media. My wife's like, you can go see this movie. I've got it for tonight. Uh, and by the way, like, do you want to know how the, this is like faring on Rotten Tomatoes? And I was like, yeah, sure. Tell me. Cause I was like, these characters are sort of hodgepodge together out of like the Marvel cinematic universe. Like I think Gunn and, and the other original director or uh, writer had a list of characters that they could pick for a run of guardians of the galaxy. Uh, And they kind of went through and they were like, okay, we're going to pick these characters that haven't really teamed up before, but there were, there was a long list of who could be in that squad. Right. And, uh, and when, when it was revealed that, you know, it's going to be a talking raccoon and a, and a anthropomorphic tree, like, I was like, 
this Yikes. cannot actually work. Like this is going to be so <laughs> strange and bizarre. Like if they can pull this off. It's going to be amazing, but like, this might just get critically panned. And my wife's like, okay, it's faring really well. People are loving it. So I was like, okay. So I went and saw it and I was blown away that it actually did work. That like yeah. the characters are great. That Chris Pat, Chris Pratt beefed up and became this like Adonis for a while, you know, and, and, and told funny jokes and, and Gamora was amazing. And Zoe Saldana in general is an awesome actress. So I really enjoyed the way Guardians of the Galaxy hit and, and, and sort of worked. And, and coincidentally, uh, my, my daughter's middle name is Rocket. So, you know, I had some people think wow. that it, since her birth coincided with the release of the movie, that maybe there was a connection there, but it was, uh, it was more coincidental than anything. But, but it does like remind me like, oh yeah, her birth is correlated to the release, uh, release of that movie and my enjoyment of that original movie. I, I still like the second one. Like it's fun and there's, there's like some funny jokes and some really great moments and the way that they use music, particularly at the end when, uh, you know, there's the death scene and, and Stallone shows up to, to blow off the, uh, the fireworks <laughs> and all of that. Like, it, you know, it works on some levels, but like it, there are very many cringy moments in it. And I, I sort of attribute that to James Gunn and his sense of humor. Totally. So, Chris, I think it's obvious what I'm going to do. <laughs> Guardians 1 is going to move on. Yeah, I'll just kind of point out the couple of things that work for me with volume two. The opening credits might be one of my favorite opening credits of any movie ever. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah, they're great. And it's it's like such a good representation of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy, where we're not gonna focus on all of this action and space sci-fi. We are focusing on these lovable characters, and that's what we're trying to do with these movies. Um and, and I just it's just so fun. I love that opening. The sequence. end of that movie is uh, is so tied to the original Infinity Gauntlet too. Uh, you know the creation at the end that's that's sitting inside the the tomb uh, right. on on the uh, the what is it the Sovereign Planet, which is not from the comics. They're not a part of the comics, um, but uh, it, it's suggested that that's Adam Warlock inside. They've created Adam Warlock was instrumental in obtaining the uh, infinity gems and sort of saving the, the universe in the original comic book run. So uh, it's interesting that they didn't bring him into that, that set of movies, then infinity war and, and end game, it would have been too difficult a story to tell and sort of wedge in there. Um, but, you know, that's a character that I am interested to see down the road as MCU explo- explores more of the space side of things. You heard it here on this podcast first. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yondu is great. I agree that Yondu's awesome. I don't know that I agree with ending the movie with Yondu's funeral, um, but Yondu does get one of my favorite MCU quotes at all when he says, I'm Mary Poppins, yo! (laughs) You look like Mary Poppins. Is he badass? (laughs) Hell yeah, he is. (laughs) I'm Mary Poppins, yo! So good. Um, And obviously Baby Groot, that goes without saying. Um, and you got a you got a Miley Cyrus drop in there too. She's the robot head at the end as well. Oh, I did not know I, that. Yeah, and, and you might have noticed that uh, the, the creature at the end that's with Stallone, he's like, "Let's go steal some." Yeah, he does, he's got the same magic as uh, as Doctor Strange. That character ends up becoming the Sorcerer Supreme uh, in the comics, uh, replacing Strange. Oh, wow. Fun facts with Travis on Mouse <laughs> Madness. Let's go. Ultimately, the number one thing that doesn't work for me in volume two is, is I feel like the, the theme of 
your family isn't always the one you're born into. You can choose your family. And also your dad isn't always your real dad. It's the dad that raised you. Uh, like they already did that in the first movie. Like that was already in there. I didn't need it again. I just felt like it was kind of unnecessary. I'm agreeing with y'all. Guardians of the Galaxy advances over volume two. Uh, Travis, you agree with that? Yeah, totally. All right, let's move on to our next matchup. It's number four, Black Panther versus number 13, Thor. Uh, oh, man, I, I think this one's really easy. You just have to look at it on paper here. Uh, Thor is probably the most vanilla movie on this entire bracket. It's one of those movies where I really have to look for things to like about it. Like, I have to to reason with myself to be like, oh, okay, like, I, I get it now. I like it for that reason. Let me explain. When you have a movie like Iron Man, where the hero is this really imperfect person and he uh, kind of like overcomes these difficulties uh, and prevails, that's like a classic hero story. But Thor, you have this like supernatural god. How are you supposed to relate to that person? Um, which is, is kind of like the basis of liking any movie character is, is do you relate to them? And Thor is just so unrelatable in Thor. So you kind of have to approach it like he's a, a mythological creature. He's like um, Achilles or Odysseus or something like or one Thor. of those guys from 300. Yeah, or Thor. <laughs> so you have to approach that character with a different lens and thus the entire movie with a different lens. Like you can't talk about character arcs and you can't talk about, um, you know, the, the classic like narrative structure. It's just like a big myth and everything is a little bit extra and everything is a little bit like too grandiose. And I guess coming off of Iron Man and Iron Man two, I wasn't really expecting that from Thor, so it was extremely hard for me to get into. And this movie didn't really start picking up until about halfway through when it started becoming about Thor learning how to be human by, I guess, falling in love with Natalie Portman? <laughs> that's, that's one of the weaker points of that movie. I think, I think the point where he starts to learn to be human is a key point in all of the Thor movies and his development yeah. as a character. And that's one thing that the MCU has done really well. Like typically I'll watch a movie and if it's got sequels or, or a TV show or whatever, the, the character as it's originally written learns things during the course of whatever it is that they're acting in. And then by the sequel always reverts back to what they were originally and then has to learn it all over again. Yeah. But, but the MCU does really well is like the characters actually do learn and grow over time. And, and Thor in Thor's case, like one, because I think they realized they had a really good comedic actor on their hands mm -hmm. and two, because he does become more human. He becomes uh, he loves Midgard. He returns to Earth many times, and then he travels the cosmos, and and he sort of learns to become more human and and have a little bit of levity, and clearly doesn't want to be king, and all of that sort of stuff. So in this though, yeah, he's. I mean, it's Kenneth Kenneth Branagh's take on uh, you know Shakespearean take on a on a comic book classic, and it it's pretty odd, uh, straight down to like bleached eyebrows on Thor. Like it's all very strange. Yeah. And that like tacked on love interest, like again, 
the MCU for many of its good things has had uh, an, an issue with development of women for a long time. Like it took until Captain Marvel to give a woman her own movie. Uh, and, and Jane Foster in this is this brilliant scientist. And when she's looking at Thor, she's all googly eyed. She, yeah. It's, it's really bizarre and strange. I keep a long list of in my phone of, of like my favorite MCU movies and like just one or two notes about what I like about it. And with this one, uh, I wrote Cat uh, Dennings for the day. Like sh she's the best part of this movie. And I'm so happy to see her show up again in WandaVision because just her wit is like really the thing that like brings me any joy while watching this movie. I was so, so mad that I saw a cutout of her character in like the banner advertisement for WandaVision on Disney Plus because I was the same where I was like, dang, Cadet Dennings is actually really funny in, in both of these Thor movies. I, I was traditionally- Mew Mew, like that's such a great line, Mew Mew. It's yeah. so funny. And uh, I worked on the Warner Brothers lot during Two Broke Girls and I didn't really like that show. Uh, probably didn't have anything to do with Cat Dennings acting, probably had to do more with the writing, but- um, I was really like surprised that I was enjoying her so much in these Thor movies. And then I wish that I could have like organically seen her pop up in WandaVision and be like, whoa, whoa, she's back. Let's go. Uh, but I, I was kind of spoiled by that, by that banner advertisement. I think for this matchup, I'm just going to go with eyeball test. <laughs> I don't feel like I need to explain all the ways that Black Panther is better than Thor. Like it's pretty obvious. It's, it's a much more enjoyable movie. I don't think Thor is as bad as a lot of people maybe think that it is. Uh, same goes for Dark World, but Black Panther is just, it's just a better time. So um, going with Black Panther. Yeah, and I agree with you that I don't think Thor is as bad as people say it is as far as like superhero Marvel movie. Um, there are some moments, Chris, we just got off our sad boy bracket saddest disney boy bracket and thor in this movie top five top oh, yeah. five sad boy he flips absolutely flips a table when odin tells him that he's not gonna make him king and then also uh he he gets like captured trying to get his hammer back and is like screaming into the rain sad boy there's energy. so there's so much weird screaming in this movie there's yeah. another moment when um, Odin is trying to banish Thor and Loki is like but father and Odin goes hang it <laughs> like that's literally his line I want to see how that's written in the script it's the, <laughs> the strangest sound anyone's ever made on a movie screen but yeah the screamings it, it's, it's a mood and I said at the very top of the show how much uh, I appreciate mcu's investment in like effects and the like small new mexico town looked like a warner brothers lot <laughs> it totally did right like totally it, it looked like someone went in with like whatever camera they had yeah. in their closet and just found this like lot and filmed this movie uh but it's up against black panther so sorry thor you're going down travis do you agree with that pick there yeah it's a shame that we haven't discussed black panther in any detail here because it's so good and yeah. completely i mean we i'm sure we'll get into it here oh, we it's going to be up against some stronger competition a little bit later uh but the world building alone 
and the time that it took to build that into Black Panther completely blows away uh, even Asgard as it looks in Thor, like Black Panther for the win here. Totally, totally. And we will. And we've talked about Black Panther before on our best Disney thing of 2019. Jeez, man. No, so, of the 2010s. Of the 2010s. Made the best Disney thing of the 2010s bracket. We dove way into it and we're going to do it again next episode. But for now, let's go ahead and talk about our next matchup. It is number five, Thor Ragnarok versus number 12, Ant-Man. Okay, Chris, this was another movie, and this movie I'm talking about, Ant-Man, that was hyped yet again to me. Was it really? Because people love Paul Rudd. (laughs) Okay, I love Paul Rudd too. People love Paul Rudd, and I cannot... Tom Holland's performance as Spider-Man in Civil War is just so endearing because he is a child, and Paul Rudd's is just like your you're like not only the actor out of water, but you're also the superhero fish out of water. And it drives me absolutely insane. Uh, And so watching this movie didn't even feel like I was watching an MCU movie. Uh, And maybe it's because like, so let's say that Chris Pratt was Ant-Man, right? And because it doesn't really take place in uh like that comedic humor isn't taking place in a world that isn't earth. I give it more of a pass because it feels like we're, we're world building, but we're in San Francisco and we've got Paul Rudd making a lot of jokes (laughs) throughout this entire movie. Uh, I feel like it, it just didn't land for me and people were very happy with how Ant-Man came out and we're, Stoked on it. I remember uh, a friend telling me that I should go see it in theaters. Did I? Nope, absolutely not. And I watched it at home and I was like, there's some funny parts, but like, it feels like, and I, I don't know. And Travis, you can maybe help on this. Like, I don't know what the projected outlook is on Ant-Man's character, but it feels like they introduced him into this infinity saga. And then like, he gone. Like it, it almost he was just there to to get this character in and give them a nod and then get rid of them. Yeah. So like in the comics, the the character of Hank Pym is like central to the Avengers and like is really like a huge part of Marvel for a very long time. Kind of a problematic character at, at, at a certain point, he punches his wife mm. and it's depicted that way in the comics and uh, sort of scars the the legacy of that character for a very long time. Again, like another scientist, it's like really hard to get along with uh, in cartoons has been depicted as like very difficult to get along with. He in the comics is the creator of Ultron. That's an mm. issue of course, because Ultron tries to take over the world and cause all sorts of issues. So like, he's a huge, like, like a very smart character, um, you know, brilliant scientist, but kind of a f- up, uh, mm-hmm. but, but does have a lot of like legacy in in the history of Marvel. So I think that's why they, they brought like maybe a more relatable version of Ant-Man, which is the newer version, the Scott Lang version, which is what Paul Rudd is, is depicting. Um, and, and uh, you know, they, they allow sort of that Hank Pym character to be the grumpus that he sort of is in the comics uh, depicted in that way. But I mean, yeah, Paul Rudd is supposed to be what he has like a master's in engineering, but he's like sort of a goofball and, and, my, my whole thing with Ant-Man 
is uh, Edgar Wright is like an amazing writer and an amazing director and directed one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which I don't know if you've seen it, but like is written yep. really well and shot so amazingly, like really an underappreciated film, just the way that it's like pieced together and the acting that's in it and, and all of that. And, and Wright himself, like, uh, you know, has worked with, uh, you know, made a, a number of movies, um, uh, Shaun of the Dead and other movies of that nature. So he wanted to bring Ant-Man to the screen years before it ever got off the ground and, and actually made it Marvel. He wrote a script. It's what this script is sort of based off of. Uh, the way that he would direct something, I would have loved to see Edgar Wright's version of this movie. I feel like it just would have been such a better movie. So I can't help but watch this Ant-Man and go, Edgar Wright would have made this so much better mm. and so much more interesting. I think what ultimately happened at Marvel, and it's it's a little bit unclear, but basically Marvel really at that point wanted to make a Marvel movie. And they were too they were worried that it was going to be too much of an Edgar Wright movie. It wouldn't sort of fit into the box that they thought it needed to be. Now, year, a few years later, they embraced Taika Waititi and sort of his oddities and allowed a really weird movie to be made and then realized oh, we, we should embrace the weirdo and let them sort of fly and, and, and see some of their vision as long as it fits like our overall story arc. So I, I can't, I, yeah, I mean, again, I have like another good buddy that like Ant-Man was his way in because he's sure. such a Paul Rudd fan. And sure. I get like the interest in Paul Rudd. To me, this movie is one of the more forgettable MCU movies, uh, certainly of the newer class. Yeah, I'd agree with that assessment completely. And when it's up against Ragnarok and it is up against Taika who has proven over and over again throughout his entire history of screenwriting and directing that he knows how to balance that humor that serious storytelling the social commentaries involved and the action he's very good at finding that out and some of the better uh that one fantastic Mandalorian episode in season one uh, with the humor and the stormtroopers and it's it's Taika. Yeah. <laughs> and so and the great action and, and he does it so well in Ragnarok. And, you know, this this comedy that he puts into it just lands so much better than what James Gunn was doing. And it feels like the same energy where it's like this wacky space adventure that it has its quirks and its turns, but Taika does it in a way that isn't there to like put people down <laughs> or, or try and like be edgy for edgy sake. And I just love that humor. And I know it's not up against Gal Guardians of the Galaxy, but just purely based on that humor aspect, which I like that taste in a Marvel movie, Thor Ragnarok takes it for me. I didn't find Ant-Man funny at all. I don't think I laughed one time. And I love Paul Rudd and I love comedy movies. This was not a funny movie and it wasn't a very good comic book superhero movie. It was just so weak all the way around. In my list of Marvel movies, it's number 22 of 23. I think it's really bad. <laughs> Some like weird observation. Um, his name's Scott Lang, and I was like, "Oh, Paul Rudd's gonna play another dude named Scott." Wow, 
he always plays a guy named Scott. And I went back and I looked at IMDb and he literally hasn't played anyone else named Scott. And I don't know where I got this from <laughs> that like he always plays a guy named Scott. And I think it's because there was a vacationer who loved tennis, who was very good at tennis, was named Scott and he kind of looked like Paul Rudd. Do you that remember this person? It. No, but I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> that Paul Rudd type would show up at that summer camp. I'll tell you that. Just really lame. I think, like you said, the character of Ant-Man doesn't work the best in MCU. I think he works okay in ensemble movies. I don't think he works at all in a standalone. I think he works much better in Ant-Man and the Wasp when he is more like backseat to Hank Pym and to his daughter and wife. If there was one movie that someone was watching the MCU for the first time and they were like, which one do I not need to watch? I'd be like, don't watch Ant-Man. That's probably the first one off my list. Maybe the Incredible Hulk after that. But um, I'm I'm obsessed with Thor Ragnarok. I love it. Can't wait to talk about it next week. It's going to be a heavyweight matchup against Black Panther, but it's moving on to the next round. Travis, do you agree? Uh, Ragnarok's the funniest Marvel movie. Totally moves on. All right. So let's move over to the other side of the bracket where we've got the number two seed <laughs> Captain America Winter Soldier versus 15 Captain Marvel. Oh, man. So um, this is our first Captain America movie we get to talk about. Oh, my goodness. I am not a fan of the Captain America brand at all. I just really do not care about U.S. political drama. I don't care about spy espionage. I don't care about guns and explosion action. And like that is the Captain America brand. Don't care about S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't care about Hydra. (laughs) Don't care about World War One or World War Two drama. It just I just don't care about Captain America. So I know a lot of people who love Winter Soldier. Travis, you're one of those people. Maybe you can explain it to me better. But like, I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. It's just boring to me. And it's one of my least favorites with the rest of the (laughs) Captain America movies. My goodness, the blasphemy that you're speaking right now is just completely (laughs) off the cuff here. Holy moly. Here, wait, okay. So here's 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 my thing about Captain America. Like, I am not like, I am not super like in uh, into like you know it's got to be America and only America. Like, I I cannot like I'm not a very religious person. I'm not a super like uh, you know gotta lift the flag up above all else. Like, would would rather like understand the stories from everybody and like sort of get a feel for the world and all of that sort of stuff. So the interesting thing about Captain America, where while he represents like the might of the US and he represents in his costume, the might of the US and the shield and, and all of this other stuff. Like, I think the, you know, a little bit in the first one, he he's very much like, uh, you know, representing the US. But even in that one, he starts to realize like, I'm not doing any good here. I need to go fight and rescue my friends and things of that nature. But really where, where he takes a turn is in this movie where even though he's Captain America, he really doesn't believe in the, the, the things that he's working for or the people that he's working with. And I think that's what makes this movie really interesting to me. This is to me the most grounded of, of all of the MCU, MCU movies. It, it, it happens to be a superhero movie, but it's a, like a spy espionage movie, which if that's not your genre, like totally get it. And it's not really mine either, but like it works for me on so many levels because it's so grounded that I, there again, like he's a super serum soldier and, and he's kicking butt and like can kick people off of ships and jump out of airplanes without like a parachute and all that sort of stuff. 
and blows up some buildings and somehow makes it out alive as he rescues his hundred year old friend with a metal arm. So none of that is like real right. grounded, but like the story itself is like super grounded in addition to like great acting from Robert Redford, great acting from Samuel L. Jackson. And then like even the, the like unspoken sort of like sexual tension between Captain America and Black Widow is really interesting to me here. Like, uh, uh, you know, the introduction of, of Sam is really interesting. Like the reveal, like if you're a comic book fan, isn't a huge reveal, but I like the way that they set that up too. And they set it up in the previous movie. And it's, it's just got a lot of things going for it for me that, that make a lot of sense. And I think one of the big parts is that like Captain Amer America realizes like a lot of this is just bull and like, what, what am I actually fighting for here? I've got to help tear it down. Like the, the, the elevator scene alone is just great. And, and he jumps out of the elevator, lands on his shield. And, and even Jasper Sitwell basically says what the audience is thinking. He's like, are you kidding me? Right. Uh, I think it's just a really great moment and sort of depicts the character really well. So I want to follow up with the Natasha and Cap stuff. I, I can go both ways on that um, because part of me is like, I don't need the romance in the Avengers movies, especially with Natasha, who's like the only leading female lady we have. Why does she have to be in love with Steve? Dude, it's super tacked on in Ultron with, with Banner. Like that is completely <laughs> unnecessary. So part of me is like, it's unnecessary and we don't need it. But then part of me is like, if you have 23 movies, these people have been together for years, been on so many operations, you're telling me not one relationship between any character has ever right. been a little bit ambiguous at times. Like that's kind of realistic, you know? Sure. So I would like to ask a follow-up. What about Clint and Natasha? Like, yeah. do you think there's something maybe more there going on too? Cause I kind of get that vibe. She's got a necklace of an arrow for him in some of the movies. Yeah. So like clearly there's a little something going on there. But so so I'm kind of with you that like the ambiguity is is semi intriguing, I guess, but it, it gets laid on a little bit thick in places in uh, in Winter Soldier regarding the Captain America kind of turning heel on his country. I get it. I get where you're coming from. I'm not sure I agree with you just because of the existence of Hydra. It's like the modern day the Nazis are in America, like we got to get out the Nazis. And so. It's like kind of what he has to do to continue being like that patriotic figure. And, and I think about like today's 5g conspiracy theorists, like they've <laughs> definitely seen Captain America winter soldier, because that's literally the plot <laughs> of this movie. So it's like, like he is still kind of Captain America, you know? But yeah, but I think of, I oftentimes can think of America as like a force and, and he carries a shield, which is like, a defensive weapon and not necessarily yeah, 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 like yeah. a force weapon. So to me, he like just that alone in the character is representing like he doesn't, he goes to the fight, but he doesn't necessarily want to fight. Like his whole thing in, in the first movie is like, I hate bullies. I just, you know, no yeah. matter who they are, like he's just trying to defend people and do what he feels is right. And he becomes more conflicted, especially starting in this movie over time of like, what is he actually fighting for? And, and, you know, that all gets wrapped up in Endgame, obviously, but it's a really interesting story arc that really begins here for me of, uh, of you know, what, what's right, what, what's, he, what's he standing for, certainly gets uh, uh, more involved in Civil War, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, to, to me, like, this is my favorite uh, 
MCU movie. It just, it works on a lot of levels. It's got, it's got great pop-ups. So, oh, you never believe it. Samuel L. Jackson's still alive. Fury, Fury made it out. But I mean, yeah. he, he's a guy in the comics that has like 20 different rat holes that nobody knows about that he can climb into at any point. So it makes sense that, that he would survive anything, but he's just got some, he himself has some really cool scenes in this with the integrity of the window and okay, now let's fire and that sort of stuff. And, and they've even got the, uh, the uh, path of the righteous man on his gravestone as a nod to Pulp Fiction at the end too. It's, yes, there's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of yes. nice uh, little, little elements in here from uh, you know, that are surprises to fans. So I'll do one more negative for winter soldier. Then I'll briefly talk about some positives. Can we get Steve Rogers a Brooklyn Dodgers hat, please? Because I am <laughs> sick of this man walking around with a blank baseball cap. That's the MCU, though. They all Dodgers have blank hat. baseball caps all the time. I hate it so much. I don't know anyone who works for MLB. I, I don't associate with that league. Don't know what that sport <laughs> is. But can we please get him a Brooklyn Dodgers hat, please? <laughs> That's my rant on that. So some positives. Um, love the Pulp Fiction quote. Huge fan of Pulp Fiction. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I love the cameo by Danny Pudi. Do either of you guys watch Community? No. I've only seen a little bit of it. Danny Pudi plays Abed Nadir, who is a huge nerd, loves movies, loves making movie references. And in the series, he's obsessed with the former ABC show Cougar Town. And, <laughs> and it's like so random. And so they actually put Abed, like the character Abed, in Cougar Town as like an extra in the background. Oh, that's funny. Oh, so yeah, I know what like, you're talking about. That's right. Yeah, so he was like playing his community character on Cougar Town. It was oh, like a awesome. crossover type thing. And so when Danny Pudi showed up in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, I was like, I wish this was Abed Nadir acting as this random <laughs> guard who like opens the door for Captain America. He's on the screen for like 30 seconds. Um, loved his inclusion in the movie. I don't know he's, if that was a reference to that or anything, but he's also the newest voice of Huey Duck and Duck. Yes, he is. He sure is. It's the, uh, it's the Russo brothers connection though, who directed a number of episodes of community uh, and directed yep, a number of go. episodes of, of arrested there development and, and the story behind them. And I'll probably get it a little bit wrong, but essentially like, they were reached out to by Feige and team and uh, Feige met with them and said, you, you should be directing uh, superhero movies, action movies. And they're like, oh, community sitcom <laughs> or, uh, you know, sitcom director is like, why, why that? And he, he explained to them, like they had a real eye for, and I guess it was uh, a couple episodes, like season ending episode of, of community where yeah. there was like, some action. Yeah. yeah. So it was that that sort of like uh, got on MCU's radar so over a series of months, they did um, some treatments for what they thought this movie could be about and sort of how it would look. And they and they shot like a little, uh, uh, you know, three minute teaser trailer or something along those lines. And then they got hired for it. So there's community members uh, that pop up in, in a number of uh, spaces in, uh, in in their movies. I get what you're saying, Travis, about the moral dilemma of Cap and Winter Soldier. And I think for me, that's what puts it over Captain Marvel Captain Marvel to me really feels like a shoehorned movie. It's like just a way to get Carol Danvers into the MCU at the very last second. So you have an extra person to fight Thanos. Uh, the movie came off as extremely generic to me. Uh, really the only redeeming 
value I saw in it was as a puzzle film that reconstructing the past. We don't really know what happened. Let's try and figure it out together. Uh, Memento is probably the best movie I can think of that does that. This does that on a much smaller, simpler scale. Uh, the reveal where like Carol Danvers is working for the bad guys. Like that wasn't a reveal to me at all. Like, I guess it was just me watching all of the MC movies so close together. Like, She's with the Kree. Ronin is there. The guy from the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy that's like, who? These yeah. are all bad guys. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I already know she's a bad guy. Yeah. The big, the big twist in that movie is that the scrolls are huge in yes. the comics and they're evil. And in this, they turned out to be uh, the, you know, part of the hero team. So uh-huh. that if you're a fan of the comics and you watch it and you know what the scrolls are supposed to represent, their whole thing is invasion and, and they basically infiltrate everybody on earth and all the governments and whatnot. So uh, for them to be good in this is like the big reveal for, for a hardcore mm, comic book okay. fan. Okay. Uh, I, I hear you on the like genericness of this movie. And, but it's interesting what Kyle said earlier it, where he watched these in order of like timeline, this would have been what, like the, the second movie that you watched. Yeah. Second one. Yeah. Second one after Captain America. Right. So like if you put it and then you would have watched what like Iron Man and Thor, like if you mm-hmm. put it in that set of introduction of solo hero movies, like this is probably as strong as any of those, except maybe Iron Man. I love that they don't introduce a, 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 a love, um, uh, you know, like, yeah, love interest for her. Like they, they keep her very powerful. Uh, I liked Brie Larson's depiction of Captain Marvel in this. Uh, you know, this and Black Panther are two movies that were attacked by, uh, you know, critics, uh, not critics, but like, you know, trolls online on Rotten Tomatoes and really downgraded the audience score. I personally have watched this one many times over and I enjoy it every single time. Like, I think, uh, you know, Goose's reveal is really interesting. Uh, I, you know, that he's a flurkin and like the pocket realities that live within his mouth. Like, I don't know if you know more about that, but like he, he teams up with rocket in the comics and there's like some storylines there. So like <laughs> the, like she is a super powerful being obviously. And I, I have heard and read that like some people don't like that. Oh, she's too powerful. And it's like, yeah, but like, so's Thor. And so are all these other creatures. Like, and Vision's just as powerful as she is, really. And and the MCU does have to go out of its way to, like, get her out of the picture and neutralize her, to get Vision out of the picture and sort of neutralize him in many ways, because they're, quite frankly, like, almost too powerful. Um, but, like, I like this movie, I think, a, than, a lot more than other people do. I would say if Captain Marvel has an Achilles heel, it's how difficult she is to get along with like it's so impossible to get her to do things you know but that's like all of them like tony's the same way certainly early on and thor is difficult to get along with and doctor strange is certainly difficult to get along with but but captain marvel gets hampered by that more so than those other characters do and i don't know if it's i'm not saying from you just in general like no no i got you these are thoughts that that are shared online. So with all that being said, I guess I'm going to officially lock in Captain America Winter Soldier over Captain Marvel. Yeah, I don't have really anything else to add to this conversation. You guys pretty much covered it. I'm going to do the same thing. But what I will kind of just point out about Captain Marvel is what kind of 
puts this movie below a lot of them is their like complete reliance on fan service to the nostalgia of the 90s and how heavily they lean onto it. Radio Shack. Blockbuster, Radio Shack, the music at every scene change is some pop hit from the 90s. Uh, uh, um, Rambo's Daughter references the Fresh Prince and watching it. And even Goose being an alien is so men in black. The way in which the the sudden reveal of this alien creature is so similar to when Will Smith has to give birth to the alien in the backseat of the car and the alien just pops out of this. It's the same thing. So it, it's, it felt very distracting, quite honestly, uh, how heavily they relied on it. Um, I'm with you guys. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is going to move on. And with that, we'll move on to this next matchup. And it is number seven, The Avengers versus number 10, Iron Man. Brought up at the beginning that Iron Man was the first movie that I saw in theaters as obviously most did because it was kind of the first movie of this linked universe. And I freaking loved it when it came out in theaters. I thought this movie was so sick. And even on like rewatch, it's pretty cool. They really depicted... uh. Tony Stark as somebody that, you know, we liked that he was so brash and we continued to root for him throughout the entire movie. And even more so when he flipped the script in the middle of it to realize that, like, he's in an industry that does more harm than good. Uh, and he's going to, you know, use his powers responsibly, which is funny that he then becomes Spider-Man's best friend. What I don't really like, though, is how parallel it is to the situation that like the U.S. was in 2008 regarding our uh, relationship to like the Middle East Terrorists. and how, and how uh, Middle Easterns were depicted in this movie was very much leaning on that trope that like this desolate area of the world is just full of terrorists and we can go in and just like blow up towns but save the civilians but also kill the civilians if we need to and we're the hero at the end of the day that doesn't hold up anymore and it was probably like chris you brought up a lot like with captain america and a lot of the early films there's big usa energy and i've never really subscribed to that and so this doesn't feel great on rewatching now. So this is up against the Avengers and this was I might have actually lied. I think I might have seen the Avengers in theaters uh in between my Black Panther and Iron Man viewings. But uh it was really cool to see superheroes of the this caliber team up for the first time in this universe, you know? Uh and see them battle with each other and against each other i love thor versus iron man and also that plays in heavily to like Endgame when thor can supercharge or maybe it's infinity war when thor can supercharge iron man and they find that out here like the lightning that thor can conjure up and shoot into tony makes tony real real powerful it's just cool to see that all these personality types interact together 
it felt so relatable to any team you've been on, any group project you've ever worked on, (laughs) any sort of relationships in an office. This feels very similar where there are a ton of strengths and with those strengths come a ton of flaws. And together they have to kind of lose their egos and work together. And I really like that. Loki is a great villain in my eyes. I think he's not only a likable, like mischievous character that can obviously, I mean, the flaw in my eyes is that he can almost literally do anything. (laughs) He can never die either. He's always likely to come back. He's never actually who he is, but like he is the God of mischief. And that is kind of an umbrella title. (laughs) He's allowed to do these things. And I like it because it's not a big, huge Thanos-type character right out the gate. Although we do get him bringing in these massive, like, alien villains with him, uh, army with him. But, like, he's a, a, a looking human-looking god who is not as big and, and strong as Thor, but so maniacal. And so I really like that. Uh, and then great action scenes. You brought up, Chris, that uh, you like that kind of slow motion stop when the, the camera pans around in Ultron. You get the OG here that they've used on every promo material to the end of time. Pretty epic, especially at that time. You're just like, it's about to happen. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so. It's great. I also forgot how great the soundtrack in this movie is. It's very epic. You get that Avengers theme that we're going iconic to... Iconic now. Totally yeah. iconic. It's, it is Marvel now. That theme is the Marvel theme, and it carries on from this movie on. It's, they kind of alter between Captain America's theme and, and the Avengers theme as the series goes on as to like what the identity of Marvel is, but they absolutely crutch on the Avengers theme, and it's great. It's very good. And yeah, so I I really, really enjoy the Avengers. And I think, like, honestly, because of how not well Iron Man's uh, conflicts hold up today, uh, I think Avengers is that same action, same humor, same snarky Tony Stark, same we, we get the Hulk back now as Mark Ruffalo. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to do Avengers here, Chris. I semi disagree with you about Loki. I love Loki as a character. I think he does not work at all as a primary antagonist. And that's what he is in the Avengers. He works way better in a movie like Thor Ragnarok, where he's kind of like somewhere in the middle and you're not really sure what he's going to do because we meet Loki in Thor a couple movies before this and He's like that where like he was the bad guy and then he kind of like does a good guy move in the end. And uh, he's always kind of allied with Thor and Odin, but he also doesn't really like them. And to see Loki as like the big bad guy, I just don't think it works at all. So it was really frustrating for me to see them fighting against Loki. I just didn't think he could carry it himself. Iron Man. You want to talk about iconic? I want to talk about ironic. Because I love me some Tony Stark all the time. 
<laughs> this is such an enjoyable character for me to watch and seeing the transformation that he goes through from this very first movie all the way to Avengers Endgame. I hate to admit it, but the Infinity Saga is a 23 movie story about Tony Stark. <laughs> it is what it is. And this is the starting point. And this is where you lay the foundation of his character. And he's this guy who's living super fast and free and he's pretty unlikable in that moment and then like you see him slowly start to redeem himself little by little by little kyle you're talking about the 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 middle eastern conflict being like the primary like point of conflict in iron man i think you might be forgetting about obadiah stain who is i think the primary antagonist here it is tony stark's business partner who is like secretly funding these organizations so like when oh, yeah. i go back and i think about iron man i don't really think about that middle eastern stuff i think about obadiah and that's what i like about iron man it gives the villain a human face that has a direct connection to the hero yeah i think that like with that middle eastern conflict it plays such a huge point in the storyline though that it's like so right, obviously yeah. prominent in the fact that like he was captured and had to escape and then is seeking revenge and like that's a huge plot point uh and it of course yes you're right not the main villain but like portrayed as a villain nonetheless and that's my issue i got you 100% you are correct. And they're forcing you to like dislike a group of people based on their ethnicity, essentially. Um, I guess when I, when I look back on the movie, 23 movies later, I, I guess I don't really remember that. Sure. Yo, we missed a best Disney robot candidate. Probably the best robot in the MCU. And those are those little arm dudes that help out Tony Stark <laughs> in his workshop. Those dudes are them. so clutch. Like they save, they save mm -hmm. his life on multiple occasions. Those are true robots. Like they will do anything for Tony Stark. When I think about annoyingly bad DC movies, primary antagonist in Wonder Woman is just some guy who's like a god who came to destroy the universe like so boring, boring. with a they terrible say, mustache as well <laughs> literally a mustache twirling supervillain. like this is exactly what i talk about on this podcast like this is not good movie making so i appreciate the quaintness of iron man's primary like conflict it's just it ends up being guy versus guy who has a beef with the other guy uh, it's it's refreshing when you're going up against the Cree and uh, all this stuff that's just like so overly complicated. Um, Avengers gave me motion sickness. The <laughs> final battle in New York was 45 minutes too long. Didn't need any of it. Hate it. Hate the explosions. Hate buildings blowing up. I don't need fight choreography, but I love Tony tinkering in his workshop and uh, and just that slower character stuff that I think is present in Iron Man. So I'm going with Iron Man here, which means, Travis, you get to break a tie, finally. So this is the, the hardest, most challenging round one decision. Like these two movies uh, have numerous redeeming qualities, some problematic qualities. Uh, Kyle, the, the depiction of uh, the Middle East and who lives there and the villainy of them is super problematic for me. You know, that origin of, of Tony Stark has changed over the years, too. It, you know, it's, it's, it, I can't remember what it was 
uh, when he was originally birthed in the comics, but it's always, you know, whoever America's villain is at the time. Right. Right. So I love that the character of Iron Man doesn't show up till like an hour into the movie. I love it when or superhero origin movies do that and they really build the person first. Yes. Same thing in Batman Begins. I don't think Batman shows up on the screen till uh, one hour, one minute into the movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting route to take rather than just thrust you right into who this person is. You really get to see them build, get to see what they're made of before they, they start coming out as the character that they represent. Uh, really interesting choice at the end of the movie. And I, you know, memory serves, I think they weren't quite sure which way they were going to go with this movie, whether he was going to pretend to be, uh, you know, that Iron Man was going to pretend to be Tony Stark's, uh, you know, helper or whatever it is. Cause that, right. that's what it is in the comics for a very long time. Like Tony Stark is Tony Stark and Iron Man is somebody else that protects Tony Stark. And, you know, that would be completely asinine. I think going forward, if it, you know, look over there and then you put your suit on, you know, it's like, if you look across the MCU, nobody at all is a, a secret, uh, has a secret identity anymore. The only person is Peter Parker and he straight up tells everybody at every point that he's <laughs> Peter Parker, yeah. always takes his mask off at every point. Nobody anymore has a secret identity in these movies. So it makes sense, especially in an era of social media and internet and all of that, that keeping that secret would uh, would be very difficult. So it was really fun at the end of, uh, of the first Iron Man when he says, I am Tony, or I am Iron Man, right? Yep. And then, you know, that that plays into Endgame as well and you get that major payoff. So that, you know, and, and none of this works. All 23 movies and the Disney Plus series and all of these other things aren't going to work if that movie doesn't land. So like sure. for that to set the tone and the stage for the rest of the MCU is monumental. Avengers though was the first team up and that has been proven to be difficult. Like it's hard enough to make a good superhero movie and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies have told you that. And, and, and Fox and all of their X-Men movies have told you that. And uh, you know, the fantastic four movies have told you that. And uh, <laughs> uh, DC has told you that. So like for, for a D2 number of superheroes to get that. What's that? D2 Mighty Ducks has told you that. Right? So like for a number of superheroes to get together on the same screen and actually like be really good and you're waiting for, for Bruce Banner to turn into the Hulk and that iconic moment where he says, you know what? That's my secret. I'm always angry and just unleashes the beast and like punches the thing in the face and it yep. flips over him and like just this amazing moment. And like, yeah, the the, <laughs> the motion sickness turnaround where, where you get to see all the characters, like that's an iconic pose now. Again, this is this is so tough. There's enjoyable mo moments of both. There's uh, uh, you know some questionable things in both. Loki, I feel you, Chris. Like Loki is so much better as the antihero. Like in this, he's a lot more villainous, and he straight up massacres people. They even reference that he has yeah. killed like whatever it was, twenty five people, and then you know Thor drops that sort of regrettable line. He's adopted. Um, like he's a straight up killer in this. Like now he's going to get his own series on, on Disney plus, And he's going to, again, be like more of this anti-hero and you quite don't know which side he's always on. And he's always turning his tricks And this is tricks is like straight up murder. So it, kind of problematic, but like for, for, uh, for these guys to get these characters together and nail Avengers again, like none of the rest of this works if that doesn't work. And like to get that build up and that payoff and have this be like a really fun movie that also moves the story along, slight edge 
to Avengers. And if you, if I wake up tomorrow morning, we might need to re-record because I might. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right. Well, we're going with Avengers to the next round over Iron Man. Let's move on to the next matchup. It's number three, Avengers Infinity War versus 14 Spider-Man Homecoming. I'm going to be honest, Spider-Man Homecoming, I wasn't a huge fan of. I saw this movie in theaters in Los Angeles, and I don't know if it's just because there were so many Spider-Man movies that came out in the early 2000s, I like didn't need another Spider-Man movie. I wasn't super juiced on it. I think this is why... Like the new Batman movies, I have no inclination to watch them because I've already seen three different versions of Batman. Like, I don't need another one. So watching this this Spider-Man origin story yet again, I just, I don't know. Maybe I was a little bit too familiar with it, but I didn't really enjoy um, Tom Holland's take on Peter Parker. I think he's a little bit studly and his Spider-Man is a little bit clumsy and I almost prefer Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker who is a super weenie and his <laughs> Spider-Man is like super super spidey because isn't that the point of getting bit by a radioactive spider you're like you're like always on point Tom Holland's like tripping over lawn furniture when he's trying to run t- to chase down bad guys you're a Spider-Man I'm a I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Like that was I'm a Spider-Man stan. Like that's Amazing Spider-Man is what I grew up on, and I liked the original Spider-Man movies, the Raimi movies, and I'm kind of unhappy that he's going to direct uh, Doctor Strange too because dude cannot edit a movie worse. <laughs> but but like to me, McGuire did not represent Spider-Man very well because the whole thing about Peter Parker is that like he's kind of this nerd, right? And like maybe mcguire represents the nerd a little bit more but like the whole like uh you know uh web coming out of his out of his hands and and you know being organic was like really strange move and not you know because he's a scientist he's a scientist kid he's like a really smart kid so he makes his own elixir and like this movie gets back to the origin of spider-man like what he actually represents when he becomes spider-man he becomes a little bit more cocky and like that's a big thing about the character like he's got these quips he's got this stuff but he always ultimately screws everything up because he's a kid because he's like 15 16 years old when he starts in this in this costume and down this road so like to me this this version of peter parker is most akin to the the comic book that i grew up on and and really enjoyed that the only part they really leave out is that like he does take photographs when he goes around and sort of like has this this like need to like make money and stuff like this kid's a dumpster diver instead but um uh but uh you know to me this is the best representation of peter parker that they've had yet and i and you mentioned that it's a, a an origin story chris but this really isn't like this washes away um uh, you know, the uncle Ben story that yeah, we've seen yeah, a, cu- yeah, a couple yeah. times before, like they, they're assuming we know that and it really leaves it open. Like we assume that Marvel cinematic universe is earth 616, which is the main storyline in the comics, which I think this is, but uh, you know, we don't know if it is actually uncle Ben. They've never actually said in these Spider-Man movies, like, Oh, you know, aunt May lost uncle Ben, like could be something else. They've sort of left that uh, ambiguous. Um, but certainly something happened and somebody died and that's why he became Spider-Man. But we can assume like something tragic happened and this is why he needs to fight for the little guy. And I love that they sort of just move on from that and they we don't have to get another Spider-Man story and watch Uncle Ben die all o- over again and understand why he's at this point. Like we got that. Let's get into like how this kid is going to grapple with this. 
while I didn't really pay attention to the reaction of a lot of these movies when they came out, one thing I do remember is how hard everyone was writing for Donald Glover to play Spider-Man in these movies or like any Spider-Man ever. And uh, to reference community for a second time in this episode, the season two (laughs) premiere has Donald Glover's character, Troy Barnes, waking up in a pair of Spider-Man pajamas. Um, I digress. I'll, I promise I'll leave community alone. Um, Donald he Glover, plays Uncle Aaron. He's he's Miles Morales's uncle in in Homecoming. Yeah, so he shows up briefly for for a very quick scene. So I think regardless of how you feel about this version of Spider Man, it's going up against Avenger: Infinity War, which is an absolute juggernaut of a movie. So important to the Infinity Saga, and this is a movie that. I mean, come on, it's Thanos' movie. I think to have a character like Thanos be developed so late in the saga and still be a good villain, that is just so mind-blowingly impressive that they pulled that off. I mean, they could have been talking... I mean, they kind of had been talking about him like for a few movies, but... Like the fact that he wasn't in it from, you know, maybe the very first Avengers movie onward and just kind of always being in the background and, and us slowly learning a little bit more about him each time you see him. The fact that it's all loaded into this movie, it's just it's just impressive. When I think about Infinity War, I think about Thanos and I think about how strongly his vision is developed and his like um, doctrine <laughs> is developed and, and his relationship with Gamora and, and all of that stuff so perfectly done uh these marvel movies really lacked good strong villains i would say throughout and 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 to see thanos be pulled off so well in infinity war i think like that alone ought to give it the pass here over spider-man homecoming yeah i'm advancing it too and i have um obviously a ton of thoughts on it but i agree with your assessment i don't think i really need to add any more to homecoming but travis your boy Spidey going down here uh, in this matchup. It, it's fair in, in this. Like it, Infinity War is strong, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. One more note on uh, on uh, Homecoming, though, is Vulture is really good. Michael Keaton, uh, the original Batman in, in the movies, he is really strong in this movie. One of the better MCU villains, and Marvel has an MCU villain problem, so I'm interested to see him come back. Um, and then one other point that just like a little offshoot uh, – the voice of Karen in Spider-Man's costume is Jennifer Connelly. Jarvis is Paul Bettany, who became Vision. Jennifer Connelly and 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 uh, Paul Bettany are married. So, a uh, nice little nod to a relationship oh, inside the head of Iron Man and Spider-Man. Wow, that's awesome! Had no idea. All right, let's move on to our final matchup of this uh, first round of sixteen. It's number six. Captain America Civil War versus number 11, Captain America the First Avenger. First things first, this movie was long. (laughs) Civil War was a long movie, yo. 2.5 hours. I was like, oh man, it's just another Avengers movie. Why are we doing this? Uh, Also, like in this matchup, you have a matchup of not great de-aging processes. And you have it in uh, First Avenger making Steve Rogers little scrawny boy. Head I gotta to, disagree with you. This head, is some of the better stuff, way better than than Star Wars has portrayed. Yes, well, that's a low bar. Come on, that's yeah. They that's not quite a bar to you. You're walking over that bar when you mentioned Star Wars is a de aging <laughs> process. But uh, 
Steve Rogers in uh, Captain America First Avenger, when he's a little scrawny boy, his head is way too big for that little body. And it drives me absolutely insane to have to watch that Steve Rogers for that much of that movie. And then young Tony teeters that line of Mandalorian uh, young Mark Hamill. It's just very video game character-esque looking. Luckily, we don't have to get young Tony for very long. It's a very short snippet. But I had to bring that up that both of these movies gave it their best shot. I'll start with Civil War. It felt like they needed another Captain America movie, but they also wanted it to feel Avengers. So they essentially like made a short film that was just an Avengers fight scene. And it was so long i understood like the 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 power passed hands too many times for me to stay interested like what side's about to win oh it looks like cap side is about oh it looks like uh tony's about to get his way and it just felt like it dragged on just so that we could have these heroes fighting each other for as long as possible when really like there was a lot more that we could have been focusing on, which was that kind of emotional storyline and reveal at the end uh, at truly like what was happening. You, you might lose people during that long battle. I love that this is the introduction of T'Challa and Black Panther and we like get to see immediately what Black Panther is all about. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's hard to keep up with like who Bucky is and where he is and who's controlling him now. And I found myself during this movie and it's probably because I watched all of the movies the first time out of release order. And I definitely didn't watch them in any order to rewatch this, uh, that I was just tripping myself up. And had I seen this in release order, it probably would have been a little bit more important. Um, but it was, it was tough for me and the the relationship that he has with Cap. It's just like, yo, Steve, let let it go. You guys are both 100 years old and <laughs> Bucky's ruining everything. And you're all fighting each other because of this. And I think what an interesting angle, though, that they, you know, they've forever hinted at is like this casualty thing, like. You know, for every save, look at the destruction that comes your way is something that like it felt nice. I mean, we've seen just a bunch of superhero movies in which things are just getting blowed up. And now it's here's the consequences and the choices have to be made. What I hate about this movie is that Captain America kisses his love interest niece. Why did that happen? mind that he's he's interested in her she's interested in him why he's long dead we don't know that he's gonna circle back around and go back in time or or be the the secret husband all along like <laughs> we have no idea that that's gonna happen like Did so it? he's interested in her she's interested in him she, they, they were neighbors they have a shared connection over the over the course of a few years where they've been eyeballing each other for a while it's weird travis i don't like it at all <laughs> i don't like it at all uh so this is a, a a heavy action movie. You get Ant-Man showing up, doing his little dumb fanboy Captain America thing, which we He's seen. got one of the best lines in, in these movies where he says, thanks for thanking of me. 
Where he, <laughs> yeah, okay, he's like fair. so nervous and giddy and like had just woken up in that situation that he like flips those two words. And as somebody that often gets like tongue tied in those situations, I appreciate that small little tidbit that the writers and the directors put in this movie. Uh, it, it sort of galvanizes that character a little bit more for me. Um, this is up against yet again, Captain America, the first Avenger with bobblehead Steve Rogers. And, you know, it's always cool to see origin stories where it, you know, it's he turns into Captain America really quick, but he doesn't be, get to be able to be Captain America for a very long time. So I'm glad that, like, after the street chase, um, when he first becomes <laughs> Captain America and then immediately jumps into action to save the day that it wasn't now. That's just what this movie is, is him fighting crime or him going overseas to, to win the war. Uh, he like goes through the ranks for some reason. See, it feels like an oversight by the U S army to make this man, uh, your mascot as opposed to your bleeding soldier. Hydra. As if my brain needed another villain organization to keep up with in the MCU. There's just a lot happening in the MCU. And the last thing I need to worry about is like Nazis infiltrating the establishment. We're, We're dealing with One that. head, two more will grow. Uh, I, it's just one Nazis as villains. You, you see four movies of it every single year. These are like super Nazis though. <laughs> yeah. One turns into a computer. It's crazy. <laughs> You think he would have like uploaded himself onto a thumb drive at some point? That was something. Uh, and also, this brings up the very first instance of me trying to understand how Cap uses his shield. And is Cap just really good at mind physics and just knows that shield's coming back? Or is there some other ability within the vibranium of this shield that allows him to use it as a boomerang? Because but again, you mentioned early on, like the, the, the MCU will sort of poke fun at itself. And, yes. and Spider-Man says that in Civil War and says that shield does not display the laws of physics at all. And yes. like, Cap just glosses right over it and goes yes. on to the next thing. And when that happened, I stood up and clapped because I was like, <laughs> I'm so glad they addressed that because it's been driving me insane for the last 15 movies. <laughs> How does the shield happen? Yeah, this one's feels very toss up to me because uh of the captain americas i probably don't watch first avenger or don't care to watch it again but like civil war at least i get my heroes battling against each other so i'm a i'm a advanced civil war here chris so first avenger to me started off so good i think the setup of captain america is great i love stanley tushi I love the fact that his superpower is actually that he has a super big heart and has super courage. That's really what sets him apart from everyone else. I love the propaganda little plays that he puts on and, and the way that <laughs> it's kind of like poking fun at the idea of patriotism kind of. And, and I like that that is built upon with the Captain America Museum in DC that we end up seeing in Winter Soldier and like the playing cards that Coulson collects. And um, it's fun. Couple things that did not work for me in First Avenger. I don't buy his friendship with Bucky at all. Like, show me more. And, and like, I feel like they realized that they didn't show enough 
because eventually they they do a flashback scene where he's like talking about uh Bucky comes up to him and is like, "Oh, you can stay at my house after your mom's funeral, whatever." Like, like mom died, yeah. Like that would have been such an important scene to see in this movie because all we get from him is like they go out drinking at the fair and Bucky goes home with a girl and it's like, "Oh, they were best <laughs> friends." Home with two girls, just <laughs> right. funny, yo, go. Go right. go fail out of the army again. Like, I'm gonna they, go. Didn't, they didn't seem like that good of friends. Like Bucky didn't seem like he was riding very hard for Steve at all. Like <laughs> they just kind of seemed like they knew each other. I don't know. So speaking of Hydra, the second half of this movie, all of this Hydra stuff, I could not stop thinking about Star Wars and why on earth people would buy merch with Empire logos on it. I don't know why that was what was going through my head the entire second half of Captain America First Adventure. I was like, it just suddenly hit me. I was like, wait a second. That's kind of messed up. Like, why would anyone want to, like, relate to an organization like this? I don't think they sell, like, Hydra merch, but they definitely sell a lot of, like, Empire merch for Star Wars. It's very strange. Captain America Civil War is my number one favorite Marvel movie. It is so good and i will talk more about it next week i'm advancing it here travis do you agree with that (laughs) final matchup result i agree this is this is another movie written by christopher marcus and stephen mcfeely uc davis grads they wrote they wrote first avenger uh but they wrote winter soldier civil war infinity war Endgame. they polished guardians of the galaxy volume one they were responsible for writing Agent Carter, which I've actually never seen. Some of the TV stuff I haven't seen, like Agents of Shields. I heard Carter's good though. They they are credited as writers for Thor Thor the Dark World. We won't hold that against them. I think that had a mess of writers and was ultimately like a totally failed movie. Um, but but them paired with the Russos makes magic. And uh, and I really enjoy this movie. There's there's a number of great references and lines, and just again, it's like a triumph of a mix of characters in Civil War. Uh, and you know, you, you get Giant Man for the first time too. And I know you guys don't love Ant Man, and I'm sort of with you there, but uh, but really cool to see that character on screen. So um, I'm I'm riding for uh, Civil War all the way here. All right. Well, it took some time, and we did it. Uh, we got through the round of sixteen. Those were some great conversations. I learned a lot. I hope you all did too. Moving on into the next week's episode, uh, into our Elite Eight, it's going to be the number one Avengers Endgame versus number eight Guardians of the Galaxy, number four Black Panther versus number five Thor Ragnarok. On the other side of the bracket, it's going to be number two Captain America the Winter Soldier versus number seven The Avengers. And then to round out our Elite Eight, we have number three, Avengers Infinity War versus number six, Captain America Civil War. Travis, thank you so much for joining us on this crazy, crazy journey through the MCU. We look forward to having you back on next week's episode. Excelsior. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you need to get a hold of us, you've got something to say about these takes. Did we get something wrong? Did we get something especially right? Please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at mousemaddestpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. All that is linked in the description of this podcast. Remember, folks, we can do this all day. <laughs>